Some of you have been here and you're thinking, oh my gosh, it's been 10 years. I, don't, I can't imagine that. Others of you are brand new tonight. Thank you for being here. Appreciate it so much. Uh, so I had an interesting thought at that last song, and, and I just really want to verbalize it and, and release it. Um, one of the interesting news stories this week, and it, 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 I know for some it's frustrating, for others it's exciting, is that annexed part of the center of Seattle. Uh, the... Uh, Chaz. Chaz. Chaz, yeah, Chaz. And <clears throat> and as we're singing that song, I thought, oh, man, wh- I wish that we could just, uh, I could just envision driving up there with a van full of equipment in the band <laughs> and just saying, hey, and, you know, reaching out to some friends that were black and some friends that were Asian, friends that were white, and, uh, and, and just go up there and just set up and start playing, that being one of the songs. Just play and just release it and just make sure that the Lord let us see everybody there as he sees them and relate to them that way and minister to them that way and laugh with them that way and pray. Uh, anyway, so Father, I don't think we can do that <laughs> from Joyland, but somebody can. And uh, Yeah, bring sandwiches. And uh, I ask that that the the spirit the the joy to do that would be released among your people and that there would be a way a way made and if there's any other need for the release of this kind of celebration and this kind of joy and this kind of honor uh, to you and to one another I ask Father that you would sow that into the hearts of the people who can do it and if there's anything around here that we can do uh, we are we are saying yes, Lord, whatever it can be. So I just didn't want to let that pass, Father. I wanted to get those words out there and let them begin to take life. I call on the angels that uh, carry that kind of stuff around and empower it and release it and message it. Be free. Take the joy of the Lord into the midst of all of these situations. And there's so many of them in our country right now, Lord, from the pandemic to the situations with jobs and joblessness and and uh, the protests and the organizers and just all of it. I'm reminded, Lord, that for almost every question, the answer is Jesus to set our hearts free, to see as Father sees. So I thank you for that. Amen. 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 Yeah, there you go. Okay, so now I have a very uncomplicated message. I want to talk to those of you on Zoom for a little bit. Um, so we're celebrating, if you didn't know, we're celebrating our 10th anniversary. And there's some people that have been here. Patricia has been uh, in relationship with us for almost that whole 10 years. That's awesome. Jeremy uh, and Amy, same situation. Megan, my sweet sister. I, In the course of thinking back to memories, I thought about that day in the gym. It was awesome. <laughs> so praise God. That's wonderful. Shelly, you've been with us forever. Ray, you too. I remember praying for you that very first day. And uh, just bless you guys. Kathy, you've been here a long time. So thank you. And those of you that are new, don't worry about it, because you've, uh, you've come in after we cleaned up our mess a lot. So <laughs> we, 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 it can do good. I want to walk you through just, just uh, four scriptures that are super meaningful as milestones to me. And then what I'd like you to do is there's, there's a few people for sure. Uh, Richard, uh, I'd love you to share 
about that sort of transformational experience that Burning Man's become, because it's a big part of our, our existence. And uh, Jen, the transformations you've gone through, the, the persistence that you're holding our feet to on believing and healing, I'd love you to share anything you want to share about that. Um, obviously, Doug and Janet, you guys have been here. It's a great occasion to have you here. Doug and Janet were one of the couples that uh, were we were all together at another church, and the Lord began speaking to us about about starting a church. And so they've been here from day one. Tim and Meg came in almost exactly one month after we started, and so that was pretty cool. Uh, so any of you, Jason's been here since I think actually before we started, but a couple weeks we were still in the uh, we were still just in a community meeting when we met you the first time. And Jason's been a a liaison, a go-between, a friend, and everything for the whole time. It's just been beautiful. So anyway, I'd love to hear those stories, but I also, for those of you, like I've talked a little bit with you, Alan, and Jeremy, you and I talk a lot. I know that there's a reason you guys are here, and I'd love to hear that, and I'd love to hear how it is framed as you think about going forward in the hope and the vision you have for what might might be going on. So we're just going to take that time. So uh, my team was giving me a hard time because I told them I had 10 slides. This is the first one. And this is going to be fast. Here's the second one. (laughs) There it is. Okay, so there's four scriptures that I want to remind you guys of. And if you've been here for a while, you'll understand that this kind of took us someplace. So the first is Genesis 4.1. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Now what does that have to do with anything? I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. So let me tell you, one of the first big steps in becoming who Joyland is was several years ago, we realized that the picture of God and, and the picture of the gospel that we had was probably wrong. It was distorted. So what we did, uh, because I, I love the Scripture, I still love the Scripture, I believe in the Scripture, but I realized that not everything that I thought it said it says, not every way I interpreted it, was the way that God meant it to be. And I'm sure that's true now because we have an infinite God with an infinite heart and infinite purposes translating that into a finite bit of writing that requires relationship. And we have the filter and the key of all keys in, uh, and we've studied in Hebrews, that in times past, in many ways, God spoke to the fathers and the prophets, but in these last days, He's spoken to us in His Son. And so Jesus is going to be the focal point of whatever we understand correctly in the Scripture. Now, you guys are making a lot of noise with those bags. So. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there we go. I blew my whole, my whole lead in on being cool. Here's, so, those aren't bags. Those are applause. Those are applause. Here we go. So we took a look at Genesis. We figured we might as well start at the beginning. And, and we started with this thing saying, Lord, were you filled with wrath? Were you angry? Were you frustrated with Adam and Eve at the fall? And we powered through those things, and it was hard because we started, we tried to listen, and we we tried to make Adam, where are you? We tried to make that sound mean, but it just wasn't mean. And then when the revelation came about that Adam was afraid, and uh, and, and and that he had eaten the fruit. He said, God said, who told you you were naked? God's concern was revealed for them in the language. And then we went, went, and we got to this thing in Genesis 4. So we've been through the fall. We've been through all that mess. And the first line of chapter 4 
Eve says, I've gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. I, and I like doing word studies and stuff, and so the best that I could, I got the impression that this was, a, this was an interactive, hands-on kind of help that was being talked about here. So some way or another, God himself was the midwife in this process, and Eve recognized it. I've got a man-child with the help of the Lord. And I thought back to, to C.S. Lewis uh, when he wrote uh, Paralandra. I don't know if you, how many of you have read Paralandra? Okay, so it's, it's a, a, the third in his science fiction trilogy, and it's, well, no, it's the second in his science fiction trilogy. And it's about a battle on Mars where the devil had infected and possessed a guy, a scientist, and he went up there to try to cause that world to fall to. And uh, Edwin Ransom was this, this scholar that was there and he realized that he had been brought there. And one of the expressions was, I had to plunge my hands elbow deep in the blood of this attack to prevent it to come away. And I just saw that image when I was studying those words. I saw that, that Jesus himself, uh, in that pre-incarnate word of the Father, had gotten involved in the promise to continue these people's lives in spite of the fact that they were promised that when they ate of that tree, they would die. And so God... Two things proved. One, God was with them. And second, and this dispelled something that most of you probably never thought, but maybe you did and didn't know it. We read the story about Adam and Eve being dispossessed from the garden and the angels being put there. And I don't know how many people thought about it, but I realized when I got to this point in the Scriptures, as we were researching and re-looking at the Gospel, I realized that I had just assumed that God stayed in the garden. But he didn't. He didn't have an office in there. You can tell it here, but you can tell it even more when Cain grows up and uh, he doesn't have to make an appointment with the uh, flaming sword angels for God to say, Cain, sin is crouching at your door and you need to master it and you can't. God didn't stay in the garden. He was out there with Adam and Eve. He was out there with Cain and Abel. He was out there with all of the, the line that came from it. That was a huge thing. That's, that started to speak to us at Joyland about the heart of God. And so then the next passage is a super simple one. Tim will recognize this one. We got to the point where we started to try to take Jesus at face value, take him literally when he said something. So now we have a God who didn't push us away in the garden, but he, he protected us and he followed us and he worked through all of that history. And now he says, Jesus says this to his disciples, in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I am in you. This set a stage for us, and it, this was a little bit later, it set a stage for us, uh, and for me personally, my understanding of God, that made him so much more intimate, and so much more with me, and with us. And we had to we had to settle the issue. Was this was Jesus only speaking this to the disciples? Was he only talking about those guys that after 40 or 50 days Pentecost was going to come, the spirit was going to reveal and that's what he's talking about? Or can you and I believe that this is true? Can you and I come to understand that in fact Jesus is in his father? And the thing I love about this verse is nobody disputes that. It's one sentence, it's one breath probably. I am in my Father. We all agree with that, Jesus. But the very next astounding thing you say is that you are in me. 
and I am in you. So that set the stage for our pursuit of God in a more intimate, a more personal, a more real, and a more corporal, corporate way than we had had before. So that was a big scripture. I loved it. This part right here. You will know that I am in my Father, you're in me, and I'm in you. And that set a goal too. That set a goal. It set a goal for, for ministry not being an external element and not being uh, something we did uh, for God, but something we did in conjunction with, inside and inside. So that led to another scripture. This one was a huge one for me. Uh, the real impact of it hit me as I was studying. A friend of mine gave me a copy of, uh, of a book by C. Baxter Kruger called Jesus and the Undoing of Adam. Anybody ever read that book? It's a real small book. Man, if you haven't read it, look it up, buy one, uh, and, and read it. What it's talking about is what went on on the cross. What went on on the cross. And so, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old thing has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So the next verses are the ones I want to talk about, but I want you to think about that for a second, especially I was thinking about this um, in conjunction with all the stuff that's going on. From now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. This defined our obligation toward ministry. And it, it, it took away from us the permission to try to navigate ministry, to navigate family, to navigate relationships, and to navigate our own discipleship on the basis of what Adam and Eve had stolen that they never should have had in the garden, and that is the ability to know good from evil. I spent the majority of my life trying to find a religious way to walk out figuring out whether what you were doing was good and you were doing was evil and I was doing with good and you were doing with evil. And we were never supposed to make our, our course through life that way. We were never going to get to our destiny that way. We were going to die doing that. And we were living in death doing that. But when I saw this, I'm going, how can it be, Lord? Is it possible? Is it possible, like Paul says, that we can recognize no one according to the flesh? And the answer is, if we can't, Nobody can. Because of what Christ has done. All right, so we've known Christ according to flesh, yet now we know him this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself, to Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And then it, Paul goes into to the details of this. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. We had to stop there for a season in our lives to really try to come to grips with this. Because that means, and I remember preaching it and preaching it and thinking through it and preaching it and feeling like, a, like I was venturing, huh, heretic, venturing into places. This whole idea, this whole picture of Jesus bearing our sin on the cross and the Father turning away in disgust because He's too holy to look on sin. Now maybe you didn't grow up with that image, but bunches of us did. <laughs> bunches of us did. It's a way that theologians and, and, and the Reformers were trying to explain the magnitude of sin 
and the punishment that Jesus took for us. But here it was, spelled out. God was not in some distant place of disapproval. He was not the author of the judgment lightning bolts that came. He was in Christ, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, fully in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses or their sins against them. So now what is the key to what I was begging, Lord? Can we really get to the place where we recognize no one according to the flesh? Yes. If we will adopt the reality, the truth, embrace it, be sons of our Father who was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against him. That was revolutionary. That's sort of, Richard, where I think Burning Man came in. Or at least this began to define it. Yeah. Yeah, because we were going, well, how can that be? How can that be? Doesn't it matter whether, you know? This was the time in my life when I started, because uh, this is not easy. I mean, I admit it. It's not easy, especially if you've got a lifetime of momentum. But I started going to the Father and, and, and say, Father, I don't trust how I see things. And I, I can't just by force of will stop seeing them the way I see them. But if you will show me how you see them, I can agree with you. And that became one of our mantras and my mantras in this, in this, in where we're at. And, and I just can testify to you that God's more than willing to show. Even today, when we were worshiping, I, I guarantee you that as I looked at that situation in Seattle in my flesh this week, and I had a few episodes where I did exactly that. I did not have images of people as I think God saw them. I didn't see outcomes. I saw outcomes that involved things like bulldozers and things. And that is not how God sees this issue. He looks into our hearts and he sees the created value we have. That's about the time, too, that Dan Moeller started laying some stuff on us about created value. God has never lost sight of who you and I and our neighbors were made to be. And that book uh, by Baxter Kruger um, led me to pick up one of his phrases uh, and, and make it my own. He says, what Jesus is calling for us to do is to stand up and agree with him about how he sees the Father, about how he sees us, and he sees the people around us. If we can do that, if we can do that, we will be weapons of peace and righteousness in the earth in the hands of the Lord. Um, not counting their trespasses against them. When we first tried to wrestle through with that, I know that, that a bunch of us had thoughts, but Lord, doesn't it matter? Apparently not to God. Apparently not to God. Uh, I don't fully understand how that all works, but I know this, and, and I'm not including this New Covenant Scriptures that we're working on now, but I'm telling you, Hebrews chapter 8 the whole new covenant. The foundation of that, which is at the end of it, is that I will have mercy on their transgressions and their sins I will remember no more, not ever. And so one of the first lessons that you have to learn about that in this idea of our, uh, not counting their trespasses against them is when I go to the Lord and want to have a conversation about my sins and failure, I've got to realize that I'm going to be talking to myself because he doesn't remember it. And if he doesn't remember the ones that I think I see in you, I'm not going to be able to get a good conversation going about you either. 
So we just have to believe this. And then all of a sudden, in that belief, something happens in our lives. And we begin to see things the way the Father sees. And if we can do that, and then act according to that, it's going to be a good day. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He's made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is what God sees. This is his destiny for us. This is our created value. That was the third one. And then here's the fourth one, and this is a big one for me personally, and I'm still working through all the ramifications of this one. I only included the first three verses here to give context uh, of this thing. It's important, but it also applies today. When you're all torn up about the situations in the world, especially in the United States here where people, you know, just so many different voices, sometimes it seems like truth is not revered in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I know others from other sides and other points of view feel the same way. Um, It's just a mess. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made in behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and a quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Well, it seems like we're a long way from that. And so rather than despair, let's back up a verse and pray for all men and the leaders and the people making decisions. Okay? This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires that all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. So this was just a few years ago for me. These two phrases. God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And then it goes down and it talks about there's one mediator, and that's the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all. Testimony given at the proper time. Um, There are still uh, a variety of beliefs even in this room about how things are going to shake out in the end with people's lives. But this, maybe, maybe it's a little too much to say this is a milestone like the others for Joyland, but it, it clearly is a milestone, and it was a milestone for me. And here's what I got out of this. If the Scripture is as clear, and, and you know, you have to laugh when somebody says, well, the Bible's clear. You know, or it, it, the Bible clearly says, well, here's one that I don't hear quoted too often. The Bible clearly says right here <laughs> that God our Savior desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So, you don't have to be a universalist. You don't have to be an a ultimate redemptionist. You can be an annihilationist. I have a hard time understanding how you can be an eternal conscious torment person and and take this seriously. But you you probably could do that too and still fellowship with us. But here's my take on this. And here's how I'm led in trying to lead us. If I know that this is God's desire, I realize there's nothing in Scripture that gives me permission to indulge desires opposite that of my own. And so I may not be able to figure out how he's going to get that job done or how he's going to express that desire or how he's going to be able to tolerate not being able to accomplish that desire. I really can't. But I know this, I don't have permission to want something different. And so I'm walking forward, wanting to line my heart up with what it says there, that God desires that all men be saved and that he has provided 
a tool for all, a ransom for all. And so this is one of those things that begs the question in my own heart toward myself, what's the point of being a believer if you don't believe things you don't know how to figure out? So, I don't know exactly how God's going to do it. I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't even know if he's going to be able to pull it off. But I know that I don't have time. I don't have permission to do anything except take sides with what he wants. And so, seriously, I have wonderful conversations with friends that go, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, I understand it all. I understand it all. But you show me where I have permission to not want what God wants. And I won't. <laughs> but nobody's been able to do it yet. So uh, this, is, this is one that, that I know I'm personally wrestling with. And, and I just want to say that the effect it's having on Joyland right now, especially for those of you that are new, is uh, you can, you have permission to believe God to be as good as you want Him to be, as, as you hope Him to be. And you're not going to get shamed for it. You're not going to get ridiculed for it. You're not going to have a whole bunch of people surround you and look at you like you're the stupidest person on the face of the earth since Christianity was born. If you want to have a conversation, you can. If you want to have uh, some fellowship, an honest, open debate, we're all for that. We even do some of our marketing saying Joyland's a questionable church, and it's true, <laughs> however you want to think about it. But uh, this is a reflection of the thing we learned way back in the beginning in Genesis. And we have to take it at least seriously on that front, that God is good. Our Father has His good, good intentions for us. And uh, it's a mess. I don't know how they're going to root those people out of Seattle, but I bet God's got a way. I don't know how. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll start a colony in there and it'll turn into something beautiful. I don't know. I can't see that. But I'm willing to believe that as the Father looks at those folks, He sees them for their created destiny. And so, anyway... Uh, don't make more than that than, than you have to. Nobody's going to jump down your throat about anything. But those were four milestones, and they all pointed to one thing, that God is better than we think, that Jesus is the exact representation of God, and that we have a, we have a, a fantastic relationship opportunity with the creator of the universe. <laughs>